0: Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where critics and fans finally unite to discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. We're not just fans, we're not just critics, we're Cinemaholics. Cinemaholics.
1: Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCover.com. I am John O'Groney from the Internet, California, and from the Internet, Pennsylvania. He's writing all over the walls inside a dingy bathroom in Bushwick. It's Will Ashton. Yo. Joining us from the broadband basement, he's currently the star of a new reality show called Gigolo. And don't worry, his stage name is still Soundmaster. It's Soundmaster Maverick Hines.
0: <laughs> I don't have much to say to that. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: That's okay because we have a special guest uh, for the first time on Cinemaholics from the Internet Kansas. She's blasting out "Call Me Maybe" on karaoke with Charlize Theron. Welcome to the show, Abby Olchesi.
2: What can I say? It's my song.
1: That's right, and you know what? We decided to call you for sure on yes. the show to talk about Sully. Wow, and a bunch of other things. Uh, but Abby, for those of uh, for those of us our listeners who aren't familiar with your work, uh, where do you come from? Who do you write for?
2: Um, I am based in um, the Kansas City area, and I write for a few different websites. Uh, you can find me on Sojourners, um, Birth, Movies, Death, and Think Christian. Um, I've also shown up on Relevant a couple of times.
1: That's right. You did the uh, the super review. Uh, I was supposed to be on, but I uh, I submitted my stuff way too late. But I will say, uh, for the super review for Avengers: Infinity War, I was I had already sent out my stuff. And I was reading your responses to the questions and I felt better because like, I feel like we were on like the same wavelength because like we were like, they were literally some of the same exact like thoughts that we were having. So I appreciated that.
2: Good, good. I'm glad I could represent.
1: Yeah. Um, So as I already alluded to, we're talking about Tully this week. This is the new film from Jason Reitman and uh, Diablo Cody. And so we're going to review that. And we also have a few mini-reviews to get to. We're going to be talking about John Mulaney's new Netflix comedy special, Dear White People Season 2, Howard's End, a miniseries, and a few other things. And uh, before we get into all of that, we have a few off topics. Uh, first of all, don't forget that we have our Patreon is live now. And uh, if you check out our Patreon, patreon.com cinemaholics, you can find episodes from our spinoff podcast. Uh, you guys may remember we did a Marvel Cinematic Universe breakdown episode Uh, with them. They put out that episode, but it was only part one. And if you were listening to Cinemaholics this week and you were like, where's part two? Where where Sam and the gang, they they were supposed to talk about from Ant-Man all the way to Infinity War. Where is it? Well, it's it's on their spinoff podcast feed. Anyway, that's all I got. Uh, We have the links to that in the show notes. And so you can find part two there and listen to the rest. And of course, subscribe to their show. Uh, I'm sure you guys are going to love it. And uh, we have another bonus episode coming out this week. We have an interview with Valerie Complex about film criticism, uh, the MCU, the future of it, and a bunch of other really interesting topics uh, that you guys are, seriously, it was an amazing conversation we had with Valerie. And then before we jump into the main event here, we have a listener email from Francis. And uh, I, I really thought this was a, a good one to bring up because uh, it gets into a couple of things. 1st of they're all in names, but also the name of our show. So... Uh, Francis emailed us and said, you know, I've emailed before and uh, it was, uh, I think the email, she was talking about uh, movie snacks and wanted to know what we get, what we eat when we go to the theater. I think this is back in like September, but uh, what one thing we did and we apologized. Francis um, Maverick was correct by the way, because Maverick said that Francis might be a name for a woman. Um, So we, we, we said Francis and we kind of went to he that was, that was our, our bad uh, but yeah, Francis uh, cleared the record for us in this email and said, Maverick was correct. Just FYI, Franny is from being a she. It's almost too perfect to say because I actually adopted the nickname from Franny and American Dad. I forget. Do any of
0: you guys watch American Dad? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite shows. I-,
1: I feel like I watched American Dad like 12 years ago. That's about like where sometimes. I am. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that's a funny show. Uh, but anyway, yeah, my name is Francis and admittedly is more often a male name in the US, but that is... To my understanding, male as Francis with an I, uh, the name struggle is real. Considering your names, Cinemaholics, I would love to hear what you feel about that. So, Maverick, I feel like we've talked about this. Like, we've talked about your name, that, the fact that our listeners never spell it right. Although, Francis spelled it perfectly, with a
0: Y and everything. She read the show notes. <laughs> Good job, Francis. She referred to it. <laughs> Yeah, she looked it up once. Yeah. Didn't even call you dad once. Um, well, that's actually kind of insulting. That's my real name. The Maverick with a Y? Or no, Dad. Dad with, okay, Dad. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so she also said,
1: I I know it might be slightly unrelated to movies, but then again, what about actors who have names that are too interesting to always get right the first time you say or pronounce them? Did anything come to mind for you guys?
3: Uh, Timothy Chalamet, I guess? Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If I, uh, I'm understanding the question correct.
1: Yeah, like Geo4.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah,
2: Nikolai yeah. Kost- Nikolai Waldo from uh, oh, Game yeah. of Thrones for sure. Can never get that right. Which is it's also a killer to type because there's so many letters.
1: <laughs> I, at that point, I'm just copy pasting.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, Gugu and Bacha. Yeah, and
3: Which yeah, I, yeah, that was the one I was just about to say. Oh, if man. I could,
1: yeah. <laughs> I do. Am I saying Charlize Theron right, or is Theron? Or it's,
3: I always, I, I always thought it was Theron, but then I was watching or I was rewatching the between two ferns interview with her and she was explaining that i guess it's theron theron like uh, it's hard because she's from
1: south africa like there
3: i guess that's how she explained it theron okay so yeah yeah, i I mean i'm sure she gets both pronunciations so i'm sure she doesn't really mind at this point but i think it's supposed to be theron okay
1: i i I appreciate that i'm going to take your word for it well but if you're wrong i
3: hope i'm not incorrect i got backwards but
1: you're gonna be we'll kicked see. off the podcast for one yeah, week. You know, that would
3: be quite the shame, but
1: <laughs> um what about uh David O'Yellowo? I think I'm saying that right. Oyelowo?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a rough one. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah.
1: But uh yeah, names are tough. But well, um I in terms of our name, Cinemaholics, I don't know if a lot of listeners know this, but you actually that was your idea to name this show
3: Cinemaholics. What did, did you come yeah, up with? Yeah, well, I pitched a name, and then you uh, took the ball and ran with it. So, yeah.
1: I think so. I think I just put it in a list of names, and I showed it to our producer, and the producer liked that one the most. And that's how Silent was born. Super rags-to-riches story there.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I guess it's worth noting that um, we were initially going to go with one name that was more inclined with someone we were going to be produced with, and then that fell through. So, like, Mm -hmm. we were just pitching names, like, back and forth, and then that was just, like, one of, like, 50 I threw at you, and uh, it stuck. So, it's not like a, like a, uh aha, eureka moment. It
1: wasn't like everyone was, like, sitting around a chalkboard with a really complicated, like, math formula, and you just walked up, and you wrote Cinemaholics, and everyone was just, like, gasping, fainting, yeah. That's how it happened, actually.
3: I like I, I like the name Cinemaholics, so though. I think it kind of fits our vibe. But I know yeah. you've I think you've had some doubts about it in the years what? after. Or what have you not? No. Are you talking okay. about Maverick? No, no, no. I thought you like pitched another name to us, and you were like, "Oh man, I wish we had that one instead." Oh, I, forget oh, what.
1: I always do that though. I always am like, "Oh, this would have been a cool name for a podcast," but not yeah, okay. not not because there's anything wrong with Cinemaholics.
3: All right, fair enough.
1: I do also want to call out that uh, Franny was born and raised in Puerto Rico, um, where I'm from, and so I just want and also lives in California. So I really appreciate. uh, There's others uh, of us we're out there um, who've gone who've made that quite that uh, that journey um, across the world there. But okay, uh, that's enough uh, off topics. Let's get into our featured review for Tully. And uh, so I believe this film hit a wider release this week. It's uh, from Focus Features, but it premiered at Sundance Film Festival. Uh, we talked about it briefly with Alex Billington um, on that on the Sundance episode. And uh, he definitely, he really loved it. And he kind of gave us a nice preview of the film. But it is a comedy drama directed by Jason Reitman and written by Diablo Cody. Uh, they, uh, they believe this is the third time they've collaborated on a film. The first being Juno and the second being Young Adult. And Young Adult also stars Charlize Theron. Uh, and this film stars Mackenzie Davis, uh, Mark Duplass. Is it du- Duplass or Duplass? Duplass. 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 I've I heard think, it yeah. both, though, Will. Because I've always called him Duplass. Do you know, Abby?
2: Uh, I don't. But yeah, like speaking of names, I think yeah. that's that's a good
3: one. Yeah, to talk about definitely want to follow
1: through on that. Yeah,
3: I've heard it more Duplass than Duplass, so but who knows at this point.
1: But I mean, we've also heard Gal Gadot more than we've heard yeah. Gal Gadot, which is the correct. I was term.
3: also um, I was talking to somebody, and I guess it her real name is Rihanna. I always thought it was Rihanna. Wait,
1: who? But, oh, Rihanna. Oh, yeah. That, I thought you were talking about <laughs> Gal Gadot. tells like no, no. I was just talking <laughs> about
3: names. I'm just thinking more that come up top of my head. Like um, it's
1: Rihanna instead of Rihanna, or it's Rihanna instead of Rihanna.
3: It's it's Everyone says Rihanna, but it's actually Rihanna. Apparently, Rihanna. Huh. Man. And uh, I guess she just kind of goes with it. But in the interviews, uh, she said it's Rihanna. Don't a lot and, of curveballs uh, at us, well.
1: All right. Well, yeah. Uh, the film and, also uh, stars uh, Ron Livingston. <laughs>
0: There's this yeah. one line.
1: But uh, yeah, uh, oh yeah. I'm sorry to say. I think Reitman and Cody did they also they worked on um, Jennifer's Body, right?
2: Um, I don't uh, know. No. no, I know uh, Diablo Cody wrote the script for that, but I don't think Reitman directed.
1: Yeah, okay. he didn't direct that one. Okay, yeah. maybe he was a producer.
3: I'll look it um, up. But yeah,
1: it depends like, on how you define collaboration. Yeah, because he directed Juno and obviously directed Young Adult. And, yeah, but anyway. Um, The film is about a struggling mother. Uh, She is pregnant. Um, She has two kids already. She has kind of like a very familiar kind of marriage uh, with a kind of a befuddled nice guy. And they're about to have a third kid. And as this starts to happen, her life becomes incredibly difficult. And uh, the challenges of being a mother of three really starts to hit her um, on a lot of levels, emotionally, physically, and uh, even mentally to a degree. And uh, so she finally decides to take the advice of her, I believe younger brother or older brother. Okay. I, I forget like what, if it was older, or younger, but I like got brother. Un- I got the Mark younger Deflash. impression. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, he, uh, he suggests that she should get a night nanny and the night nanny played by Mackenzie Davis enters her life. And uh, from there, that's when the movie gets going. So starting with you, Will Ashton, uh, you know, what do you think of Jason Reitman in general? Do you like his films and, uh, where were we at with this one?
3: Well, uh, first to uh, clarify, yeah, he did direct, or he did produce um, Jennifer's Body. So you were right on that okay. one. So but, creatively
1: uh, they collaborated, but yeah, he didn't direct.
3: Yeah, so, but to answer your question, uh, I tend to have, I guess, somewhat mixed response to his resume in the sense that uh, I love Up in the Air. I really, really like uh, one of my favorite Thank movies. You for Smoking. Yeah. Um, and then I like Juno, but I don't know if it's it's one that hasn't really stuck with me as much in the later years. I don't know. I guess it's one of those films that kind of, it was one of those indie darlings that blew up really bright. And then it kind of fizzled from everyone's, uh, you know, it it wasn't really a prominent conversation point after that. And so I don't really think about too much. And then I was really underwhelmed by uh, Labor Day and men, women and children. Hmm. Uh, But I don't know. I, I hear people who, say mixed things about young adult and i think that's actually one of his better films uh and i think that's where i go with tully is that i feel like this movie is more in the vein of young adult than juno even to the point where the movie seems to kind of comment on how like diablo cody's resume always gets defined as quirky and she makes a point in this movie to kind of call that out and like ask like what that even means at this point <laughs> Which I was really amused by. But um, yeah, you call it a dramedy. It seems like it's more on the drama side of things than a comedy. And I, I tend to actually think of this movie more as a Diablo Cody film than a Jason Reitman film. Because it seems so personal to her. Uh, if it's not her most, most personal film, then certainly certainly uh, one of her most overtly personal films. Because she has talked about interviews, how it relates to her uh, experiences with motherhood. Especially as I believe she says she has three children herself. Yeah, that's right. Um. But I mean, I was really taken by the first two halves of this film, mainly because I liked how the style of the film was kind of more in line with what he brought to the show casual, which is like not usually like his style before that. It has like a kind of like precise, like uh, speediness to it. I remember like this first three films, there's like a exact style to it. And this one has a little more of a looseness to it that I liked, Uh, except for like there's like a really fun montage uh, mm-hmm. I guess closer to the midway point of the film, which is, I think one of the highlights of the film, uh, but it's I, followed
1: up pretty well though, with a scene, uh, on a trip to Brooklyn that, uh, the editing for that kind yeah, of, yeah, that's a nice really follow. fun as
3: well. Yeah. Uh, and that felt very real. Like that's, uh, that, mm-hmm. that felt more authentic than if they just played one song. It reminded me over, of the opening yeah. of the
1: original star Wars where the ship just keeps going and going. Uh,
3: <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. It was I, that I kind can of see visual, is
1: that kind of visual trick of like playing with your oh,
3: anticipation? Yeah. For sure. And um, so I guess I was really taken by the performances, especially by uh, Shirley Starron and Mackenzie Davis. I think Mackenzie Davis is easily one of my favorite young rising actresses. And this is just another great showcase for why she's going to have a big, bright career after this. Um, and obviously Shirley Sturron has proven many times this point why she is great. And this is just another example of that. Um, but I guess we're, I'm going to differ is that I wasn't crazy about the twist and I'm not going to give away what it is, but I just, it it was one of those twists that throughout the movie, I was just like, I really hope it's not going to go in this direction. And then sure enough, it, it it doesn't go exactly that way, but it goes in a similar route. And I just wasn't quite as impressed by, I appreciate it. I understand what the movie's trying to do, but I just don't, it didn't gel with me as much as I would have liked
1: well, that's that's the part where we differ, but we'll we'll get to that yeah. in a minute. Um, uh, real quick before we get to the next, uh, I do want to say Mackenzie Davis. I I loved her in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, um, and I do want to. I'm looking forward to what she might be doing in this new Terminator film she's supposed to be in. So,
3: yeah, I, I had not heard about that. Yeah, I'm not sure. If, have they announced what her role is? Because she's not. Uh, it's Sarah still in, No,
1: it's still in pre production, so I don't think they've made any real announcements yet.
3: I heard she might be, like, a villain-type character, like someone who works with Skynet. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure. So it's, sure. like, a,
1: a, the inverse of her role in The Martian.
3: Almost. I guess so, yeah. But, I, will, I mean, she has done more than that. I mean, she was very good in uh, a movie called, like, What If, for example. Um, I, a movie I'm apparently the only person that likes Freaks in Nature. I thought she was really fun in that. She was um, in What If? Yeah, she was What's She, um, she was uh, Adam Driver's girlfriend.
2: That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow.
1: I completely you that missed now? that. I remember her from a few other things, but yeah, not that.
3: I mean, she's also, I mean, most people I think, I think know her from Black Mirror and, uh, Halt and Catch Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I haven't seen either, but I've heard good things about both of them.
1: That awkward moment. Obviously everyone, that's oh, yeah. on, that's on
3: everybody's mind. <laughs> oh man. I forgot she, she, was in that.
1: Um, but okay. Addy Chessy uh, Jason Reitman, Juno, there's a lot to cover here, but, uh, yeah. yeah. How do you feel about his, uh, filmography and Diablo Cody and this film in particular? Uh
2: huh. Um, I, let's see. I think I, I first became aware really of, of Jason Reitman, um, with, with Juno. And, um, I feel like his collaborations with Diablo Cody have consistently been among his strongest with up in the air being kind of the outlier. Um, which is also really good. Um, I also think that their uh, their collaborations have kind of matured um the more they've been together. So like Juno being kind of the um the yeah, the the sort of indie quirky standard um with all of its weird kind of heather style slang and um um all of that that moldy peaches music um, <laughs>
1: that's right, which is great. I, I mean like it's the first song I learned to play on guitar. I'll tell you that much.
2: Yeah, that was that was that was like the beginning of my uh, indie awakenings as a young high school and college student. So I was all over that. Um, but yeah, with uh, with young adult going in a much more um, like a, a darker, more mature direction and asking some kind of deeper questions. Um, and then um, with this movie, I feel like it's it's continued that trajectory in a way that I really like. Um, and instead of going for like the the sharp and dark parts of um young adult it feels much more softened and much more um i think compassionate is the word that i'm looking for and i really appreciated that attitude like it has um a very realistic form of exasperation in in its portrayal of motherhood um but i think it also has a lot of compassion not just for um charlize theron but also for all of the other characters in the movie um for uh her husband and I think even for her her brother and sister-in-law even though it kind of ridicules their their bougie um I think that there's there's definitely some care there like his um desire to get her a night nanny um I think some movies could show that as like a flaunting of of wealth but I think this one shows it as like his genuine concern for her which I really appreciated um and then there are all, all kinds of other like really small moments, like when she takes her son to uh, a new potential school and they meet a teacher who looks like he might be a good fit for him. Um, and when he tells her that uh, like they don't need to apologize because they haven't done anything wrong. It's just this really sweet, beautiful little moment. Um,
1: I'm going to use that tree thing on Will, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like next time Will disagrees <laughs> with me on a movie, I'm like, Will, let's just be trees, man. That's let's right. Let's just get <laughs> along. Just
2: do, yoga. <laughs> just do some yoga. Yoga it out. Um yeah, and I think her interactions with Mackenzie Davis are um also really, really beautiful and thoughtful. Um and it feels like when Mackenzie Davis shows up and just says the words, I'm here to take care of you, it's like the whole movie just becomes a wash in relief. Like you mm-hmm. feel the relief that um Theron's Theron's character is 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 also feeling at that moment. Um so I, I like the idea of of this movie being kind of a message of um the importance of care for each other and self care, um, recognizing like when you need it, when you need to ask for it, um, especially in a role where it feels like you should be able to do everything. Like when you're in the role of mom, that's I think the um, the image that um, Marlo, Charlize Theron's character is constantly fighting against is like that, that image of kind of serene, perfect motherhood that she should be doing um, versus her inability to do it. Um, mm-hmm. When in fact, it takes more than just one person to like effectively take care of three very active and, in some cases, special needs kids. Um, so uh, I I really appreciated that that attitude of it. I think it it kind of I like how their films together, uh, Diablo Cody and um, Jason Reitman, I almost mark different points in their life. I think as well as their their collaboration. So like you've got the kind of quirky out of the gate stuff of of Juno where it's like this exciting new thing and you've got young adult where it's like it's a little bit jaded and then of course Jennifer's got, body
1: when of course they went right, through yeah. that whole satanic ritual thing you know
2: <laughs> you know that it, it bonds people i think when that happens <laughs> you come out the other end and it's just your relationship's different um <laughs> but then with this it's like it it's embracing a different part of adulthood i think that is there's a little bit of disappointment, I think, um, in, in thinking about like the parts of you that have come before. Um, but there's also kind of a settling into comfortably, I think, into new relationships and a new, a new part of your life.
1: So it's like a better, this is 40, unless you guys really like that movie. I'd,
2: no, I it's, it's a better, <laughs> this is 40. This is 40 is, is not, not one of my
3: favorites. Okay. So
2: I think, yeah, I don't think <laughs> we've ever talked about that. Maybe Well. will
3: yeah, I don't, I don't hate it. It's not my favorite Jed Apatow film by any means, and it's certainly messy, but I, I think it has some charm to it. But mm. this movie is certainly better than that. Great. Uh,
1: as far as me and Jason Reitman go, I think, uh, I remember saying thank you for smoking, being very confused by it. Uh, I, I, I honestly, I haven't seen a lot of his earlier work. And uh, I, I do. I do know he's written some Office episodes, or directed them, I should say. And I, I'm with you, Abby, on like, Juno was like my like high school movie, but I only saw it like once, I think. And I remember all the attention it got. And I remember really enjoying it. But like, well, it just sort of faded from my memory. Like, I can't really remember. I can remember a lot of that movie, to be super clear. But the things about it, like the comedy and the, like the really witty dialogue, has sort of faded out of my, you know, my mind. So I'd like to revisit it. I, I, I can't recall. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't really sit back here and say like, is it one of his better films or not? Uh, I think in terms like of Up in the Air, uh, which I absolutely love. I love that film and Young Adult, which I also really like. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, I've been way more hit or miss with all of his films since then. Um, including ones that he's produced uh, with the exception of probably Whiplash. But yeah, men, women, and children. I don't know what in the world he was going for there. Uh, I, I didn't even see Labor Day, but. uh, Oh man, Labor Day is even worse. Oh man. Good thing I didn't see it then. And I know, Mm -hmm. well, you've talked about casual. Uh, I, I I think I've only seen half of the first season of that. I know you really enjoy it as a whole. So is it, is it completed on Hulu or are there more episodes coming?
3: The third season is going to be the last one. Um, I don't, believe that's aired yet i think that comes out later this year but that's Gosh. going to be the last season i'm pretty sure he's involved with that one as well so yeah he has I'd, a busy year he also has it. another film coming out uh in the fall called the front runner okay. so he has a lot there's a lot of jason reitman this year I'll yeah say that.
2: that's right yeah yeah
1: good that's good with me um and in terms of this movie uh you know i i i, I was reading up on it and uh, apparently diablo cody sent him the script to the movie. Because um, you guys, you guys already mentioned like how he uh, or how Diablo Cody, like she has three kids now, and she sort of wrote this in a very personal way. And Jason Reitman apparently read the script and immediately it was like, okay, this has to happen. And uh, thankfully so. So this movie, I'm kind of the opposite of Will, where I was really, I was really enjoying it all the way through, uh, enjoying it in the sense of it was provoking thought and it was making me directly empathize with a human experience that I will never faithfully have. Um, I will Mm. never be in Charlize Theron's shoes in this situation, this like connection of motherhood. So to sit there and to be inundated with her life and what she's going through and having these repeated moments of how does anybody do this? Which Mm -hmm. I love. I love movies that do that, that like force you to connect with people that uh, are just, Very, just have completely different experiences in you, and uh, it does it in a very, it does it in a way that is still entertaining to watch. That has a lot of the Diablo Cody dialogue uh, that I personally enjoy. (laughs) I really enjoy her her wit, her style of wit, and she does the script in, uh, in a certain way to make Charlize Theron's dialogue like it makes sense for her to be kind of this person who like you she has these flashes of wit that she allows to escape to the surface that no one around her seems to really appreciate except for her uh which was a very unique character right right up you know this sort of person who you can tell she was very witty and she was very sarcastic in her youth but she's become kind of cynical and jaded kind of as you were saying through her young adult years and i love it because you, she, she feels like a whole character. She feels like a character with a backstory. And when all that stuff sort of comes to a head, when we get to the part of the movie where revelations happen, it, for me, it made the experience better. I actually think it completely works. And I know I'm probably in the minority on this opinion, but uh, and we won't say what it is, obviously, because of spoilers, but it, I think it paints the entire movie in a way that I thought was more original and interesting, uh, if you look at it that way. It's a movie about reckoning with your past self, uh, reckoning with your idea of who you are in your youth with who you are now, talking about the monotony of life once you reach a certain age. Uh, it's a great primer for people who I think are closer to Mackenzie Davis's age uh, in this movie. Tully, uh, She's 26, and that's kind of the stage of life that I know I'm in right now. And uh, being at just 27, and so, like to sit here and sort of be like, "This is coming," you know. You're gonna, you're gonna reach this point in your life where you're gonna be very nostalgic for the days you're in now. Uh, I really appreciate movies that are honest enough to uh, make you think about these uncomfortable topics. So, Maverick uh, Hines, uh, we saved you. We saved the
0: best for last. Um. That wasn't a mistake.
1: <laughs> what, what did you think of Tully? Um
0: I, I keep going back and forth. I, I don't. I feel like this is one of those ones that. Like I need more time to sit on to really develop a full opinion because it, it, it like I understand that like this is really good I, and I really I enjoyed the experience of watching this movie a lot but I also felt like I was missing pieces um, but I think that's like I should clarify that's not I think a fault of the movie I think that's a fault of me just not being able to connect I think you kind of alluded to like there are certain things about this movie that I I'm never going to be able to understand um, but I think I'm just being cynical and reacting to it poorly versus you understanding that or something. But, um, but I mean, I like this movie and, and I think you said it really well, John, where it's like, how, how does anybody handle that? You know, it kind of made me scared to have kids a little bit. Or I was like, man, I don't, I don't want anyone to go through that. Like I don't, you know, um, but I think in a positive way, it also just on a personal level for me, I was like, man, like if, you know, cause I'm, I'm married, I got married young. I know kids are on the horizon for us at some point. It's like, I really hope I'm Nine better months, if I'm remembering. yeah no that's incorrect <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it made me like I think it was good in the fact that it kind of shook me as a man to be like like be there for your wife when she's going through this and I thought that was cool it's like that's cool that I like I walked away with with understanding of that Sharice um, uh, I, I don't even want to how do you pronounce her name Sharice Theron. Theron
3: whatever um, yeah I think I might have accidentally pronounced it the wrong way with my review so I feel bad <laughs> We have a lot it's of work like this, to do. It's yeah, I was
0: all
2: over the place. You're fine.
0: Her her character reminded me so much of my own mother, which which was cool. She has three uh, kids. Yeah, yeah. My mom. She, my mom was a single mom with three kids, um, and one of those kids was me. So she had it worse than most people. Um, mm-hmm. So it was it was kind of cool to see the movie through that way, and just just you know, because when my mom was going through my brother and sister being at that young age, I was kind of too young to understand what she was going through and why my mom seemed tired sometimes and like, you know, I just, you don't understand it when you're living it. So it was kind of cool to see this, this out of, you know, out of the context um, view on that. So I, I think this movie does a really good job of being real um, and being, painting a picture of motherhood that I think may be naive. People might not understand as part of it, right? Like it's really easy to see the cute pictures and all this stuff and not see that. I mean, it's, it's dirty and I think people know that, but I don't think people know it. Mm-hmm. um so and i'm not speaking i'm not trying to speak from it like an authority on that by any means but i'm just saying i think this painted a good picture of of real life and anything that i think any movie that can be as genuine and honest as this is is worth its salt. and i and i really enjoyed it in that regard i'd say i think i'm more with john um on the on the twist i i enjoyed the ending i didn't think it took away from anything i i, I liked it you i can't
1: say but there was a specific scene right that yeah. you thought it saves so sort of. yeah
0: yeah And mm-hmm. if we talk into spoilers I'll kind of talk about that other because there was a point halfway or I guess right that kind of the peak of the movie or I was like what like I was totally thrown out of it and I think the ending saved it for me a lot which was <laughs> nice because it really ruined it for me for like 20 minutes um, huh. but uh, I don't know if I have anything else I know that's all pretty vague I don't, I don't know if I have anything specific to right. uh, but I, I yeah. enjoyed it I think it was a good movie and I think um, this is a great movie Um For men to see that can kind of paint a picture that we might not have otherwise.
1: Yeah, and even if like if you if you're hearing us and being like, Man, I don't wanna sit through this movie where Ron Livingston plays a deadbeat, dad, that is not the case at all. Very realistic portrayal, I think, of dads, you know? Yeah. Where, you know, part of the movie is like he's sort of checked out a little bit but he's still there he's still engaged and he's still like involved it's just he's not necessarily recognizing yeah, what the mother is going through exactly right i and wouldn't say he's he, like
0: you know in, in like overtly bad or anything like that yeah. like he's not you know mean or like yeah neglectful. like he does, he does
1: homework with the kids Yeah, like, obviously when he gets home he yeah. kind of helps out but like there is still sort of like there's a missing like i think abby said like self care um that sort of the main character has to like put on herself and to i think that has consequences that uh yeah
3: yeah he's more like aloof i guess than anything and uh his aloofness is it results in one of the funniest lines in the movie but i can't give it away because it's closer to the end but yeah i also heard they added a scene towards the end to make him more sympathetic which i find interesting so i'm wondering if the script Uh. was actually a little more uh Scrutinizing with his relationship with the uh, the family, but hmm. no, I agree with you. I, I liked that the movie actually didn't like make him like uh, he's not an like antagonist. a stereotypical dad, and that in that sense, it, no. it actually made him feel more human, realistic.
1: I'm I'm glad that we didn't get into spoilers because, and we were considering this like should we talk about because there's a big twist, there's a big revelation, but I, I think this is a movie that chances are you haven't seen yet. And obviously there's the elephant in the room that we're talking about this movie Tully, which technically is wide release. I think it's in enough theaters to count as wide release, but it's the following film to Avengers Infinity War, you know, the movie that I think we talked about it last week and it's sort of the movie right now. And so this to me feels more of like a film that I think all of us enjoy to a degree and that everything is, I I think is worth checking out. I don't want to speak for anybody else, but uh, I think that if you're looking for sort of a, a late spring um, indie film that is just by somebody that, I mean, is it, is it even fair to call it an indie film at this point since it's focus and it's, you know, it's a very accomplished director and I don't know. I forget, I forget where we draw the line on indie, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a more under the radar film. It's a more like, you know, I, I, the word is escaping me.
2: It's kind of indie adjacent. I really feel it like is. there should be like a like a word that we invent for like studio indie where it's like sort of in between, but yeah. not quite. It's
3: like I mean
1: a hidden gem in the making.
3: Yeah. Is it a mid-budget film technically? I don't know what the budget is. Uh,
1: I don't know what the budget is either, but I would assume it's very small. Um, it's only made mm-hmm. $3 million in the box office so far.
2: Wow. Oh, so, really? The hit. Wow.
1: <laughs> it is a hit for this time. Breaking records out here. Um wow. it, it probably costs like half that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I, th- I think I think that basically covers it. We'll get into our final thoughts and greats, but uh, I think in terms of flaws and, and problems with this movie, there's none for me that I think are worth even bringing up. I know, Will, you already talked about um, the twist just didn't quite work for you, and we can't really get into detail on that. Is there anything else about the film, though, that you would get into in terms of, like, I don't know, what's holding it back for well, you? Well,
3: sure. I mean, I, I wasn't particularly... I don't know. I guess I, I, I had some discernments with how the other children were portrayed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like the oldest daughter, it was interesting that like, they kind of not necessarily forgot about her, but like, she was focused on the least, I guess, of the three kids. And mm-hmm. I guess that kind of is reflective of the relationship the family has, where she is this, the one that kind of has to do her own thing and stand up and do like help out her mom whenever she needs to, as there mm-hmm. is shown in one scene. Um, And then there's a child in the movie, uh, his name's Jonah, and uh, I'm not 100% sure where I stand on the uh, personification of – so they don't outright say it, but it's heavily implied that he has autism or he's on the spectrum. They say he's uh, atypical. Yes. yeah, Yeah. Right. And um, as someone on the spectrum myself, I've I mean, John just shared a review for someone who was very negative on it. And actually, I haven't really seen too many uh, opinions from that regard. I was actually trying to find some to see what the community was thinking um, as someone on the spectrum. I i don't know. I mean, I, I recognize what the movie is trying to do, but I do understand that it can be seen as like a crutch mm-hmm. for the narrative and to understand, like to make it seem like more extreme. And that can that can not seem so great. But at the same time I do think there I do think there is a very loving relationship between the two and I don't I don't like the movie is necessarily critical of Jonah it just recognizes that he's uh, as the movie likes to say quirky hmm. and that he has his challenges and that the mom is very loving of him and that they she wants him to you know adjust and fit into society well but she understands that he needs some extra love and I don't know I, I can understand why people are critical of Jonah and how he's portrayed in the film but I don't know. It, it's something I'm still sitting on right now.
2: Sure.
1: Yeah. I, I, I definitely want to hear more from the community on that for sure. But yeah, it worked for me. Um, or yeah. it didn't offend my sensibilities, but what were you going to say, Abby?
2: Oh yeah. Sorry. Um, I, yeah, I could see how it, how that could be, um, could be seen as problematic. I know a fellow film critic that I saw um, the film with had, had some issues with that portrayal. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that they pair um, Jonah's difficulties with uh, the fact that um, Marlowe, his mom has had kind of severe postpartum depression after his birth. Um, So there's like some separation and anxiety um, there already, Mm -hmm. um, which makes that, makes that relationship a little bit more complex. Um, It's I, while, while his, his specific issues aren't directly addressed in the way that I think that they could be, I do think um, that, emotionally the way they show uh, his parents having to work with that um, and trying to figure things out as well as kind of the, like the the requirements of the educational system and how that um, makes it difficult for middle-class families like theirs, I think is also really interesting. Like their, their teacher talks about how Joan is probably going to need like a one-on-one aid, but that's something that they're going to have to get themselves and that's not necessarily a thing that they can afford, I think is an interesting interesting idea i think if anything that could have been explored like i that would be a totally different movie but that's a thing that i would like to see explored a little bit more mm-hmm. because that's a thing you don't always hear about i love that they
1: even bring up the topic because yeah movies usually don't go into areas that are that uncomfortable and yeah even if even if you do i can understand why someone might have problems with the portrayal here and how yeah he's and- he's shown and how he come across comes across but i'm glad a movie is sort of bringing it up and I, I don't think it's antagonistic toward him but i could mm-hmm. be way off on that
3: yeah and to be fair i'm not uh, i'm not against it i am mostly supportive of it but i can understand why people have problems or issues with it yeah. and uh i don't know I, i'm also curious though with the um like the brushing scenes that they have in the film
1: mm-hmm.
3: i don't know if they were like they, they related to like a horse i don't know if that's supposed to be intentional because there's a history mm-hmm. with horses and autism i don't know if that's intentional or if that's just me reaching there but i I don't, I don't also know if the movie, uh, if that, in that regard, if it's coming from a personal place with Diablo Cody, I don't know what her relationship is, uh, with autism, but I, I did find it ultimately pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. I was yeah. trying to figure out if it was relating at all to the mermaids. Uh, so the, the idea of a mermaid is throughout this, this movie and my personal interpretation of what Diablo Cody was going for there kind of reveals certain aspects of the movie that I don't want to really get into. But uh, I don't know if you guys had thoughts on that that were vague.
3: Uh, I mean, it, it did feel a little heavy handed, the mermaid thing, but mm. um, I can see what they're going for, I think.
2: my I, I wasn't really sure how I felt about the mermaid stuff. Um, I felt like of, of the parts of the movie that I was able to kind of connect and understand that maybe was the, the furthest thing Um I'd, I'd be curious to know like, how you guys see it playing into the rest of the film, because I, I wasn't able to link it up as much as some of the other things.
1: Hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll maybe talk about that off the air, maybe.
2: Okay, um, but sure, let's, yeah.
1: Let's jump into our final thoughts and grades, because um, we've, we've definitely had a good, good discussion, but i uh, got other stuff to get into, you know. Um, for me... I, I didn't even really bring it up. We didn't talk much about the Mackenzie Davis character and how she really fits into all of this, uh, mainly because I think one of the joys of the movie is getting to know her, um, so I didn't want to give any of that stuff away personally. But
3: uh, yeah. What I, I thought she was, yeah, I yeah. thought she was great, but um, I was wondering if... I've, I've heard the definition, Manic Pixie Dream Girl thrown around for her. Do you think that's, that's fair? Or that's unjust? what I was
1: going to bring up. Uh, that's why... I can't really talk about it, but that's why the twist ultimately works for me because I believe the movie works as a deconstruction of the manic pixie dream girl and sort of puts it on its head. And, uh, Mm. people have called this the nanny pixie dream girl in some respects. And I love that because it's, yeah, it's this idea of like someone coming in to sort of solve all your problems. And without saying anything else, I I think this movie confronts that actually i don't think it's i don't think it's a trope that's used lightly i think it's a trope used strategically to say something meaningful and positive about Mm -hmm. um taking care of yourself so that's why ultimately the movie totally works for me so i gave it an a minus uh what about you will
3: yeah um i'm not quite that positive uh but i am I am pretty positive on the film, ultimately. Uh, I guess I was also going to say that what you are talking about, though, with the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, that was also kind of similar to how I felt about a movie from earlier this year called Entanglement, which I believe I talked about on this podcast earlier. So I was kind of curious to see those two like back-to-back and see how they compare, because they have a similar kind of mentality mm. uh, when it comes to the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope. But uh, Ultimately, I enjoy the film, but I don't think it's a perfect film, but I really appreciate the conversation that it is producing. And I think it is a very thoughtful, uh, mindful film that is touching on a lot of things that aren't usually seen in mainstream cinema. And I am happy to have experienced it at least. So I gave it a B plus.
0: Awesome. And what about you, Maverick Hines? Uh, I I think I'm right in line with Will as far as where I'm at with it. I I really enjoyed the movie and, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have anything else to say. Like, I think I covered it all pretty well. For me, it's it's a B plus as well.
1: All right, all right, we're on a roll here, um, Abby. I hope you have a high grade so we can have a good average here.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I want. think. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I would I would give it a solid A minus. Um, I I really appreciated um, the kind of gentle tone of the movie. Um, I I think that the performances across the board I think are really. Um, they feel very realistic. I think even Mackenzie Davis's, I think, kind of resonates with a lot of kind of younger mid-20s people that I have interacted with and remember being at some point in my life. Um, not that long ago, but um, I think, yeah, it's just a really um, kind of thoughtful, realistic portrayal of um, of of parenthood, of like a really difficult and energy intensive Part of a person's life, the way we deal with it, and the way that it breaks down along all kinds of different lines, but just kind of basically gets down to a person's need for um, for care and consideration, um, both of themselves and by others.
1: Terrific. All right. Well, that is a an A minus minus or a B plus plus, however you want to look at it. And uh, Tully is now playing in, I believe, almost nearly 1,400 theaters right now. So uh, you should be able to catch it. And I highly recommend. Um, There were two other movies that came out this week. And as we get into our mini-reviews, the two other, I guess you want to call them not big movies, but movies I think that are uh, getting attention, Overboard and Bad Samaritan, none of us saw. Um, I'm very sorry to say we all decided to watch other things, (laughs) including uh, a new Netflix special, a uh, new Netflix comedy special that, uh, Will, you haven't finished yet, but I know you are a bigger fan of John Mulaney than me, so I'm I'm very surprised you've not yet seen the entirety of John Mulaney Kid Gorgeous, but I think it was just a timing issue, right?
3: Yeah, I think we're about the same level of appreciation for John Mulaney. I wouldn't say I'm a bigger fan. Well, but- he's
1: in your like profile picture, so I'm just... Advocating. Oh that is true, yeah.
3: That's a fair point. <laughs> just saying. Uh yeah, no, I, I am a very big fan of John Mulaney, and I I am looking forward to watching the rest of the special, but because of timing, like you said, I haven't gotten a chance to watch it all. How far are you into it? Oh, like five minutes. Okay. That's I was, not even I was watching it up, literally really. before we were recording, and uh John sprung up the time we were recording on me kind of by surprise. So Oh yeah,
1: surprise.
3: Yeah. can't record on this podcast.
1: Well, fortunately, uh, Abby has seen the special in its entirety. I've seen it as well, but, um, so Abby, let me know, like, we've never talked about John Mulaney before. Uh, are you a fan of his comedy? Uh, what do you think of some of his other stuff if you've seen it and uh, what'd you think of this one?
2: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Mulaney fan. Oh, thank um, goodness. yeah, I, I love him. Um, I, I've enjoyed his other two specials, like, um, New In Town and Comeback Kid are just like they're they're frequently quoted in the the old Chessy household. So <laughs> We 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 know we know the virtues of one black coffee um, very very well in my house um, and something I've always enjoyed about Mulaney is that like like me he grew up in Chicago I he spent a lot longer there than I did but we both were elementary school students in Chicago um, and so like some some bits of his comedy like specifically in this new special the one where he's talking about stranger danger and school assemblies and stuff or like things that I can like re- directly relate to like I can see the same thing in my brain you know Detective
1: uh, Bittenbinder.
2: <laughs> I don't know if I know Detective Bittenbinder like specifically but we definitely have like mm-hmm. dare officers that would come to our school and give like the same speech. So it was yeah, <laughs> yep. it was it was very very close to the real thing. You can um, find that
1: stuff online too. Like people are unearthing it because of the special yeah, and it's amazing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I saw a few clips from the the Benton Binder video, and it's it's pretty funny. Um, I do think this special for me has a few less like immediately iconic moments than some of his earlier stuff. Um, but overall, I think it's got it's got really good really good flow, and I think it's a it's a really good follow up to the stuff that he's been doing is just consistently strong and funny and something I'm sure I'll be watching again in the future.
1: Yeah. I think it's hard. I never grade the comedy specials cause I think it's hard to really judge one on first viewing, but my first impression was I actually, I like this one a little bit better than comeback kid. I don't think it's quite where new in town and the top part are as I think his like quintessential, you know, those are the specials yeah. that really were uh, game changers for him as a writer. But um I, there, there were moments in this one, like there, he, he addresses, um, Donald Trump directly, but he does it. And I think a very unique and original way. Uh, Uh, there's a, I I think the the terror that he goes on about assemblies is one of, one of my favorite things that he has done for an extended amount of time. I mean, it just goes on and on. And (laughs) I I loved it. I I think the, it kind of loses steam toward the end. I was kind of, yeah, he, you definitely feel it and he doesn't have a great closer, but, uh, I think the early stuff totally makes up for it. So I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think of it. Will, once you, uh, once you get to it, but I feel like another podcast is going to be like, Oh, well, we're supposed to start recording. And uh, so you've got to pause it again.
3: (laughs) Just a forever (laughs) cycle of that, whatever.
1: Yeah. Your other podcast is called it ain't ogre till it's ogre. So who knows how many times, um, you'll be uh, called upon, but (laughs) yeah, who knows? All right. Well, that's John Malini kid gorgeous. It's now streaming on Netflix. Highly recommend. um, Let's talk about, uh, Will, why don't you talk about The Week Of? That's another Netflix uh, thing. It's a Netflix film. Uh, This is Adam Sandler, right?
3: Yeah, that's right. It's his uh, fourth movie in his Netflix contract, or at least his original Netflix contract. Four Down, Uh, One To Go, right? What's
1: that? Four Down, One To Go?
3: Uh, Yeah, I guess he has has a new contract now, uh, another four films. I think the next one's going to be like a Jennifer Aniston starring Murder Mystery Kind of thing. Oh, so it sounds like they're just going to be aping bro. off of uh, Game Night oh. in a way. So huh. I don't know, but anyway, yeah. So this movie is uh, it's the directorial debut of Robert Smigel, who people probably know best as the creator and voice of uh, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. Yep. He also yeah. uh, <laughs> he's also pretty prominent in SNL history. He, uh, he he did a lot with the show. I think one of his most uh, prominent contributions was the Saturday TV Funhouse series from like the mid 2000s Yeah. If anyone besides me remembers those. Oh yeah. Uh yeah, those those skits are very, very good. Um,
1: I do want to say real quick, I'm I'm torn on him because he co wrote Hotel Transylvania, which I like a lot.
3: He wrote the, uh, the second then, one. Not the first one though.
1: Um no, it was the first one, wasn't it?
3: No, he, he him and Rob um, Sandler co wrote the he, second one. I
1: think he worked on i I would say he worked on both. But um but he also worked on "You Don't Mess with the Zohan," uh, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Are right. so, oh, you not?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not quite as negative on that one as you are. I guess. It's I'm not a almost fan of as
1: it. bad as Love Guru, which is saying something.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna say it's as bad as Love Guru, but uh, it's <laughs> okay. not. It's not a good film. And also, I guess, uh, do you ever hear about his Green Lantern script? No. No. He wrote like a Green Lantern uh, comedy with like Jack Black. Oh. and like david spade and it was gonna be like a sex comedy it's like widely considered like one of the worst uh superhero screenplays ever like to the point where like fans like venomously like told warner brothers do not make this movie like we will not show up if you make this movie and, and they just the, the repurposed script- it online.
1: into teen titans go to the movies
3: i guess so yeah i mean yeah. i i don't know how it would have compared to the ryan reynolds green Lantern movie because we already got a really bad one as it was so who knows? But uh, anyway, so going back on to my original topic, The Week Of is um, it's like a it's a little more downplayed than your average Adam Sandler movie. Actually, it's kind of an indie aesthetic to it because it's Adam Sandler as like this lower middle class. He's actually more of a working class dad who is just trying with all his might to uh, appease his daughter to uh, have like this nice wedding for her a husband and they are about like 23 years old so they're getting married young and he uh is still kind of overcome with the feelings about that and worried that he's gonna like be losing his daughter and uh his is always like you know like whatever you're gonna give me is fine i'm not it, like she's not demanding a big wedding she just wants something nice but he feels like it's his duty as the father of the groom to give something very nice but the catch is that the dad of the groom who's played by chris rock he's like this widely well-known surgeon who uh he has like a bunch of money and he's like always like, OK, I can I can handle this. Like, please don't like stress yourself out too much. I can give this wedding what it needs. And he's like, no, 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 I'll do it. And there's always these things going wrong. He's just trying with all his might to make it right. And uh, it, it's not a good film. And I I would struggle to even call it that consistently funny. But there is a mild charm to this one that I think makes it certainly better than the last three uh, Netflix produced movies. I'm not talking about the Marowitz stories cuz that's more of an acquisition and that movie is right. tales. Like that's way way better than all the other and That's m- no bomb tales. box
1: movie, right? I mean, it's not. It's not a yeah. Netflix movie.
3: Yeah. Right, but some people were calling it as such and like so me. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, especially compared to uh, the Ridiculous Six, and Sandy Wexler, and uh, The Do-Over, most especially. I know you were a fan of Sandy Wexler, John, but I was not. Fan and is I, a
1: strong word. And it's, yeah, yeah, you, you, you
3: tolerated <laughs> it, which is more than that I than defended
1: six. it because it was getting piled on, so that's all sure. I'll say
3: about that. But I will not defend that film, and I will not defend <laughs> the other three films. Uh, I guess, though, I'm kind of in a similar position to you were with Sandy Wexler, whereas I will kind of defend this one as tolerable like i I think if you put it on the background and you don't pay too much attention to like the weaker bits and you get caught up enough in the story and like the better bits to be charmed by it you'll you you won't regret this one as much as the other ones that he has made with netflix but that said it's still kind of baggy and it it really doesn't it it doesn't really have a main focus beyond the premise to the point where it's like it's also two hours and it could have easily been about like 95 minutes maybe Mm -hmm. a little less and it would have been perfectly you know length there's no reason to make this movie pass the two-hour mark but overall i mean it's it's certainly the best of the four he's made with netflix uh if you're an ab sailor fan i think you might get something out of this one truth be told but other people who are not fans of ab sailor i'd say steer away because you're not really gonna get much so i'll give it a c plus
1: ah that's better than i expected um yeah it's almost enough to make me interested in watching this so good think- as
3: Yeah, you might actually like this one. I I think if you are, (laughs) you like bad movies, John. Like what? (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, I I would say like if you, like if you enjoyed Sandy Wexler for its like sweetness and you didn't mind that it went on for too long and stuff like that, you you'd probably enjoy this one. All right, I'll consider.
1: We'll we'll talk about this afterward then. Sure. Um, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Okay, so. uh... Abbey you you saw a miniseries that I have been told that I'm supposed to see, and it stars one of my favorite actresses. It's called Howard's End. Uh, so what is this miniseries, and where can people find it, and what is it about?
2: Yeah. Um, so the miniseries is an adaptation of the E.M. Forster novel of the same name. Um, people who have been watching movies for, I mean, watching a lot of movies or who are children of the nineties, um, probably remember that, uh, there is an actual film version of Howard Zen that kind of came out of the, the merchant ivory stable. So you might be wondering, you know, we've already got this quality movie adaptation. Why do we need a mini version of it? Um, but it's actually a really timely, um, reintroduction of, of this series. So the plot is, um, these this this family uh the Schlegel sisters uh played by haley atwell and uh, Philippa Coulthard is her um her younger sister and then they have uh, a brother as well tibby mm-hmm. um, they become friends with a um wealthier family uh in uh in, in Germany on on vacation um, and kind of become linked up with them and the family is headed up by uh, Matthew McFadden who you might recognize from um, Pride and Prejudice as well as like loads of other BBC shows um, and uh, they uh, they become friends with um, his his wife played by Julia Ormond uh, who um, kind of strikes up a, a close relationship with Haley Atwell specifically. Um, and after she passes away, she leaves Haley Atwell her house, Howard's End, um, which leads to kind of an entanglement between um, the uh, the wealthy family and Matthew McFadden and his children, who are all adults and are all kind of shocked by this new revelation, and um, this, this family, the Schlegels, um, who are kind of in need of a new place to live but aren't really sure what's going on um and are kind of developing their relationships with them and also um a lower class family called the basts that um kind of come into contact with the sisters through some social interactions um and the sisters kind of want to do well by the bast family they recognize that they're kind of less well off than they are and they want to help them yeah. um the uh though they're they're new wealthier friends aren't, um, as supportive of their, their support of them. Um, and they have kind of a series of arguments over how much help they should give this lower class family, as well as some feelings that the, the Basts, uh, particularly Leonard Bast, the, um, the husband of the family has, by the way that he's being treated by the sisters who, um, treat him very charitably, but, Sometimes kind of as like a, like a social experiment that he really doesn't appreciate. So there's a lot of really important conversations about the um, kind of the role that we have to help each other, what that actually looks like, what's helpful, what's not, what's socially acceptable, what's not, um, what's socially acceptable for the time. Um, I think Haley Atwell gives a really strong performance as uh, Margaret Schlegel. Um, she's really kind of, I think, a heroine for the ages. She's very... Um, Intelligent, she's very kind. Um, she is very reasonable, I think, about like the choices that she has to make over the course of the story um, and her relationship with her family, which I think is really well developed and very sweet. Um, but the the show also shows the ways in which she has to grow as a character and the ways that she has to learn about herself and. Um, her duties and the time that she's living in. Um, so it's, it's really very thoughtful, well-produced. Um, Kenneth Lonergan wrote the script. And so there's, there's a lot of, I mean, the kind of quality that you would expect that sort of goes along with that and the sort of the depth of character and the, the strength of the dialogue as well. So it's, I would absolutely recommend it. Um, you can find it streaming, um, on Amazon, um, and also, uh, through stars, I think is the, uh, the, um, Cable network that kind yeah. of acquired it and started airing it in the States. So,
1: so do you have to have like the stars package with Amazon to see it?
2: I believe you do for now, but I think it's coming to prime, uh, properly sometime later this month. So it should oh, be more widely available. Yeah.
1: So that's a nice little preview then. So yeah, hold on. Don't, don't spend all those bucks on stars unless you really <laughs> need to. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I I really want to check this one out, especially because uh, I was told that I would really like it. Because as you mentioned, like I'm a big fan of Haley Atwell, and uh, also Kenneth Lonergan, and so definitely uh, kind of a double whammy for me. And Julie Ormond, you know, and a few yeah, other uh, absolutely. Movie, uh, yeah, absolutely yeah, 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 for sure. It's a fantastic cast for a miniseries. Uh, yeah. So that's Howard's End. Uh, it's a miniseries. We don't usually grade shows, but you know, do you have one? Um, I
2: I would give it like a. A solid, I think a B plus yeah. is, is what I would give it overall. Um, it kind of takes a little while to uh, to get going. But once the story like really kicks into gear, um, mm-hmm. it's it's really compelling.
1: Well, speaking of movies that turned into series, uh, we have Dear White People season two. Uh, we talked about Dear White People a year ago. And uh, of course, that's based on the 2014 film written and directed by Justin Simeon. And he also created this series for Netflix. And, you know, I haven't re-listened to my review of Dear White People Season 1. And I wonder, like, how far I've come on that uh, initial take. Because I don't think I had finished Season 1 before, like, we had talked about it, Will. And uh, I know we both generally pretty liked it. And I think I want to say that I was a little bit, like, I really liked uh, how... Justin sort of evolved the series from his original idea in 2014, but I don't know if I was as strong on, like, which is better, the movie or the series. Um, I'm about four episodes into season two, and, of course, I finished season one, and uh, I I will say, before I kind of give the rundown, in case you've never heard of this show— it is absolutely, in my opinion, not just better than the original movie, but I think it's better in the sense that it is really finishing the sentence of that movie in ways that I think no longer limit, I think, Justin Simeon's vision on what he's trying to do here. And I am absolutely in love with this project and with what it's it's representing. And uh, I just love its place in uh, pop culture at this point. So for those of you who don't know, "Dear White People" is a Netflix show. Uh, I highly recommend you check out the original film that came out a few years back. Um, but I really think it's great to just start with the the, the show because I think the show it, it's the same tone and vision of the movie, just explained more and just given like all of the characters are given more of their due. It's about a group of black students who go to a fictitious Ivy League school. It's kind of like a Harvard, but it's called Winchester. And they all live in um, this place called Armstrong Parker House, AP, and they sort of deal with the challenges of racism on campus by having their own brand of activism and their activism is done in a lot of different ways through the different characters. You have one character, the main character arguably Sam, but it is very much an ensemble show, and Sam has her own radio show on campus called Dear White People where she specifically she goes after a lot of the the truisms and systemic injustices on campus in a very in a satirical way. So like, you know, she talks to the white students directly through this and so that's how she uses her platform. You have another character named Lionel who is a young black gay sophomore who writes for the independent which isn't all that independent because it's owned by uh, the school but uh, or a benefactor of the school and his sort of role is he's trying to find ways to write about these stories and and he sort of is like using activism in that way and then you have another student who his name is Troy and he, he's like the head of core, which is like, you know, he's the president of the student body and he's sort of like the token, you know, he's the guy who's trying to be the peacekeeper, the guy who's trying to like keep everyone in check. And he gets a lot of uh, criticism from both sides of different arguments. And there's a lot of other characters uh, specifically. Oh my gosh. uh, Reggie, who uh, is uh, that actor. um, He, he, he is like a star in the making and he had some of the best, uh, best moments in the series i believe you pronounce his name Marque richardson and uh so he he is just fantastic in this but um i think he might have been in the movie possibly so uh but richardson uh, plays the student who use he's sort of the he's dealt with some of the worst of the injustices in the first season um one of the campus security guards pulls a gun on him and it's showing how he's trying to use that experience to sort of help other students who have those same fears. And what I love about this, this show without getting too much into detail is that as you go into season two, they're still covering like new topics. They're still covering new subject matter. That's just as like biting and interesting. And if I may, it's not a very, it's a serious show. Like there are serious moments in this, but it's so it's also very light and it's also very witty and sarcastic And it's just, it's a pleasure to, to see because of the character studies, but it also, I think is very easy to take seriously as a good drama. Um, So I highly recommend, um, Will, have you finished season one? Are you going to check this one out?
3: I am planning to check it out. I still am behind on season one, unfortunately, but I am a fan of the show and I'm a fan of the movie as well. And I, I agree with you that with the movie, there's a lot in the movie, but I think he just had so many ideas they couldn't fit in neatly into a hundred minute film. And so I'm glad the show is allowing him to expand and really kind of devo- like develop his thesis even more. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with this new season. Um, have you seen it before, Abby? Uh,
2: yeah, I'm actually I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as well. I've watched most of season one, but haven't finished it yet. But I am really looking forward to season two. Um, I loved the movie when it came out. But I agree. I think that the, the series aspect of it has really allowed uh, Justin Simeon to expand on a lot of his ideas in in interesting ways and develop those characters even further than he already had.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I highly, highly recommend um, everyone get into season two. Uh, I'm going to try to finish it this week. But uh, the first episode in particular captures, I think, the fever dream that is a Twitter war uh, in a way that I don't think any show or movie has really done well yet. <laughs> and I, I really appreciate it. And uh, I always love hearing Giancarlo Esposito. He does the narration and it's uh, it's pitch perfect. But that's Dear White People season two. I don't even know how I would grade it. Uh, probably like an A-. minus. Um, but I think the series as a whole is an A- minus for me, honestly. But okay, the last thing I have, and I won't spend too much time with it because we're out of time. But uh, RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, is a new documentary that just came out. And uh I managed to catch this one kind of at the last minute, and this is uh it premiered at sundance and i i I don't remember if we talked about it in the Sundance episode will, but uh yeah, this one I think
3: yeah, we brought it up briefly,
1: yeah. Well, it's a documentary. It's, it's a look at the life and work of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's, of course, in the Supreme Court. Uh, this is a great uh, choice for if you're doing the women in film. Uh, this was directed by Julie Cohen and Betsy West. And obviously, it stars Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as well as Gloria Steinem, and uh, quite a few other familiar faces. And I don't know where you guys are at with the story of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but... Um, like Tully, uh, this was a movie that uh, I was able to watch that like made me learn something, right? Um, because I feel like I knew plenty about Ruth Bader Ginsburg her career, but a lot of what I knew about her came from her work on the Supreme Court. What was really interesting about this documentary is that it actually like takes you back in time. You learn a lot about her early life, and uh, this this is a tremendous woman. I mean, the the accomplishments that she made, uh, especially throughout the seventies, uh, in allowing women uh, a way to uh, deal with gender discrimination uh, legally. And uh, I th- believe she had about six Supreme Court cases throughout the 70s and won five of them. Uh, and this is during a time when all the Supreme Court was stacked with uh, all male judges. Uh, she, of course, was, I believe, the second uh, Supreme Court justice, the second uh, female Supreme Court justice in history. And uh, she's sort of become an icon over the years. Uh, She's become a uh, pop culture symbol. Uh, The the documentary kind of gets into that. And my favorite moments of this documentary, uh, it's a really good documentary, but my favorite moments really were like detailing like who she is as a person, um, her marriage uh, with, uh, I think his his name is Morty or Marty? Marty, Yeah. And uh, kind of how they met and and how she, when she was at Harvard Law School, she was one of the first women to ever attend Harvard Law School. And she had a two year old daughter. she had her husband was going through radiation for cancer, mm-hmm. and she still made the law review. Uh, But she was able to balance all of that work. She was able to help him complete his work so that he could go on uh, to have his career. And I mean, this is just a a, a very inspirational woman that I uh, I loved watching this documentary because it was just revelation after revelation of a fantastic career. Um, And there are a lot of highlights, I think that some people might, you know, look at this. I mean, this is a CNN film. Um, It's also co-produced by Storyville. And I think some people might look at this as sort of, you know what, like super liberal, maybe you're not super liberal, or maybe you're really in the middle. Um, I think there's a lot to appreciate this, no matter your political affiliation, because a lot of the things that she fought for, I think, are very, like, they were progressive in their time, but we sort of come to accept as uh, things that I believe just, you know, are right, Uh, the way that uh, equal pay and uh, gender, gender discrimination in the workforce. Uh, there's the case. Um, there are cases that she did in defense of men, uh, men who were being discriminated against. And the documentary also gets into her friendship with the most conservative Supreme Court justice uh, in the 2000s, Anthony Scalia. And there's a really touching uh, section of this doc that focuses on their friendship and the way that they were able to come together, even though they disagreed on so many things, but were able to connect on other levels. They both have like a love of the opera and uh, I, I really I really enjoyed this documentary. I mean, it's not a no-holds-barred, like, uh, neutral—it is not neutral in any sense. I mean, these are filmmakers who uh, obviously are celebrating Ruth Bader Ginsburg unapologetically, so that is what you're going to be getting. You're not going to be getting a very measured— uh, take on her but you can look at that in a, in a couple of ways you could take that in a more optimistic way of like well the the good outshines any sort of the bad you might find and uh, or you might view that as biased or whatever but uh, i personally believe that she is somebody who deserves a lot of praise in her career and uh, i recommend you all check it out it's uh, i think it's playing in select theaters uh in west and east coast but uh, it should be opening up in more theaters i believe next week so uh, i gave the film a b plus and uh yeah that's that's rbg okay that's well, great yeah good. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know if you guys had any reaction to that i don't know if, yeah, any no, that's, rbg that's fans in here
2: yeah i'm excited to see it that sounds really awesome
1: yeah i'm surprised they didn't call it the notorious rbg
2: right uh, but that right, is brought right. up
1: yeah all right, well, that's it for mini-reviews. Uh, we have a lot of films coming out next week, and I don't know which one we're going to be talking about uh, in our featured review yet. The two big yeah. films. Yeah. So let's let's hash this out real quick. Uh, we have a wide release from Universal. Uh, it's called Breaking In. Uh, I, this is the film I want to see the most. It's a home invasion thriller directed by James Mateague. Uh, he, I think he did V for Vendetta. I don't, did he, has he done anything since?
3: Uh, he did Ninja Assassin oh, in 2009.
1: Oh, I hated that movie. Um, well, hates a strong word. I loved not liking that movie.
3: Um, okay, <laughs> yeah, this movie I'm very indifferent on that film, and I'm yeah. very indifferent about the release of this film. So,
1: I I still want to a- see it. It stars Gabrielle Union. Um, is about it, it's a home invasion, like I said, and uh, she has to she's trying to rescue her kids from a bunch of home invaders. And I don't know. This looks like a kind of a breezy summer uh, blockbuster. Not even a blockbuster. Uh, yeah.
3: Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I cannot see us being actually good, but it could be fun in a trashy, bad sort of way.
1: Okay. Um, there's also, it's this or Life of the Party uh, from Warner Brothers. Uh, Sorry, uh, Melissa McCarthy, directed by her husband, Ben Falcone. They did uh, Tammy and the Boss as well together a uh, woman decides to go back to college after being dumped by her husband but ends up in the same class of school as her daughter and i read this and i was like okay this is literally that family guy episode with james woods that's about bad ideas <laughs> like i that, that got a kick out of that honestly
3: well thankfully james woods isn't involved in this one
1: yeah especially these days um yeah but hey, that's not all that's coming out. We also have some uh, limited releases. Revenge is being released by Neon in uh, some wider markets this week. Uh, this is another great women in film uh, uh, directed by Coralie Fargate. So if you have a chance to see this, uh, you can add that to your list. Uh, and uh, she also wrote this. Uh, I believe, I don't remember which one it premiered at, but I know it played at Fantastic Fest and Toronto Um so I, but I've heard nothing but good things. Um, I've heard it, it topped some lists, uh, top ten lists last year. So, uh, oh, wow. this, yeah, yeah, it stars Matilda Lutz. Uh, a young woman is on a romantic getaway with her wealthy boyfriend until it's disrupted by some of her sleazy friends on a hunting trip, which intensifies after she's left for dead. The trailer is pretty bonkers, so I, I'm looking forward to this one.
3: And um, and don't forget, yeah. uh, there's yeah. a new Mike Myers movie coming out.
1: Oh, I didn't even. I don't even have that here. I didn't even want to bring
3: Terminal it. Terminal with Margot Robbie. Oh and, yeah, I do have uh, that. Simon Pegg. Margot Robbie and the, Mike uh,
1: Von Steins territorial debut, but this is from RLJA, our RLJE, um, which I'm not quite as familiar with. So
3: yeah, it's it's kind of strange that this uh, new Margot Robbie movie, I think her first after Itanya is getting such a limited release. Yeah. So I don't know about that, but. It seems kind of interesting. The trailer looks neat in a visual sense. I don't know what the story is really about, but I don't know. Can I just say, I don't,
1: okay. I don't love Margot Robbie's agent, you know? Why I is lo- that?
3: Cause she does like things like focus, I Tanya, and then suicide squad, like legend of Tarzan,
1: legend of Tarzan. I mean this, we learned from my that she's like one of our best young actresses right now. So come on, like put her in an I A24 mean, film, put her in something like,
3: I think we learned that before, right? I mean, she was sure. great in Wolf of Wall Street, and she was. And I mean, the waiting. movie Suicide Squad is not good, but she's great in Suicide Squad. I think, so I think yeah. she's
1: doing her best, you know. Regardless, but that's what I'm saying is like I just want to see her in better movies that are more. Sure, I mean, I talent. agree with that. Mm. And then last we have Dark Crimes, um, a new Jim Carrey film from Saban Films. Was
3: uh, oh, that actually coming out?
1: Yeah, supposed to be at least. It's based on that New Yorker article about. Uh, I think it's like a cold case that gets reopened and it's a thriller. I'm not very interested in it, but, uh, it's, it's releasing in a bunch of theaters this weekend. So those are our choices. Uh, which one are you looking forward to Abby?
2: Um, I'm, I'm kind of like perversely interested in terminal. Like I I think it looks like it could be a total disaster, but the cast is really interesting. Um, and it looks really highly stylized. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that turns out.
1: I hope we have another Cloverfield paradox situation where like a big Netflix film shows up out of nowhere. Yeah, and It so- becomes yeah. our
2: episode.
0: <laughs> yeah. Maybe.
3: Uh, yeah. I don't know what else is coming out with Netflix, but maybe if there's even like a show of some note coming out next week maybe we could do that instead because it doesn't seem like these movies are really going to capture the cultural zeitgeist
1: yeah well let us know in of course the comments of this episode email us uh, any of your suggestions that you want us to feature because of avengers infinity where honestly it's it's casting a huge shadow over the other releases so uh we're doing our best to provide you with films we think are worth you know we could finally do discussion yeah
3: what stranger things season two? Oh, jeez we never did
1: that, <laughs> right? Because I don't think you ever watched it either. That's of you.
3: true. That is true. Yeah,
1: not you, Abby, but Maverick. He's still here. Um, okay. Well, that'll that'll do it for our episode of CinemaHolics. Thanks as always for listening, and thank you, Abby Olchesi, for coming on uh, our show. Where can people find you if they want to uh, read a lot of your work?
2: Thank you. Abby. Um, yeah, you can find me um, on Sojourners. You can find me at Birth, Movies, Death. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter uh, at. IndieAbby88, that's I-N-D-I-E-A-B-B-Y 88. Um, I usually post links to a lot of the stuff that I write there.
1: Perfect. Uh, We'll be sure to link to that so you can find her Twitter and stuff uh, right there in the show notes. And uh, if you want to uh, connect with Cinemaholics, as always, you can check out our Facebook page, Cinemaholics, uh, as well as our Twitter, at W G T CinemaHolics. And again, email us cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com any of your feedback. And you might just hear one of your emails on our show. And uh, with that... Oh, and also, if you like our show, thank you to all of you who've left us reviews and ratings. We've gotten a few new ones on Apple Podcasts. It really helps out. Thank you so much, all of you who've done that. And uh, one last time, we have our Patreon up as well to help support the show and keep it going. Uh, that's patreon.com slash cinemaholics. That's all from us this week. We will see you soon. From the Internet, California, I'm
0: John Agroni.
3: From the Internet, Pennsylvania, I am Will Ashton.
0: From the Broadband Basement, I'm Maverick
2: From the Internet, Kansas, I'm Abby. Thanks for having me on.
0: See you next time.